This is an album that explores the Polish folk roots of the music of Chopin. There have been many musicians who've celebrated Chopin's music as an embodiment of the Polish soul, Liszt and Paderewski among them, asking, is it possible to think of the mazurka in C-sharp minor without a Polish peasant, without his cottage, without his tavern, without his soul, without his fate? And certainly that image of Chopin persists even today. There are others who suggest it's not that simple. Settling into his life in France, choosing a voluntary exile there, Chopin did not distance himself from things French, and he integrated rather than contrasted his French and Polish experiences. Chopin's creations are much more complex and cannot be reduced to one aspect of his personality. That from Yolanta Pekacz in the study Musical Biography. So Chopin was able to create something new and fresh, meeting his new circumstances and new times. We're hearing now an etude of Chopin performed by Nina Kuznetsov. She was trained in the traditions of Russian classical performance. Like Chopin, she left her homeland, taking what she knew and listening carefully to what she was finding in her new home. I went to Moscow to Gnesin's Music Academy. It's one of the greatest conservatory in Moscow. And I was specializing in piano playing and music history, musicology, and music education. And when I emigrated to America, I moved to Philadelphia, where my sponsors lived. And shortly after, I relocated to Northeastern Pennsylvania. And I loved it so much, so I decided to stay there. I worked for about 10 years as a choir director in a Russian church. And about that time, I met my master uh, iconographer, teacher Vladislav Andreev. He's a world-renowned uh, master. You suggested that you and the master and people who work as you are are trying to preserve the tradition. Yes, one of the goals is to preserve the tradition and another goal is actually maybe more important goal to say that this tradition is alive. It's pertaining to our days to show that we, all of us, each of us can be enriched and enlightened and get in connection with the most beautiful magnificence of God through icon painting as an example, as a very powerful way of doing so. And that's why for our age, we maintain that it's not only restricted to monks like it used to be before to paint icons. It has to be accessible to everybody who wants to do that and like me being a woman too and not a nun and my master teacher he's also he has a family and both of his sons are icon painters and it it can have a very big appeal not just to the souls of people who seek beauty but people who seek enlightenment Nina Kuznetsov speaking with us at the WVIA studios in 2015. 
speaking about keeping the tradition of icon painting alive, but also meeting the present day. Nina is one of the artists taking part in Reflections of Home, Women Artists on Immigration and Adaptation, this Sunday, May 16th, presented online by the Everhart Museum of Scranton. We had a chance to speak by phone with Kimberly Crafton, Interim Folk Arts Program Coordinator at the Everhart, about the initiative and the upcoming event on Sunday. We are in our second year at the Everhart Museum now as partners with the Pennsylvania Council on the Arts in their Folk and Traditional Arts Initiative. And what that means is that we have this incredible honor and, and joy for us of helping to identify the folk and traditional artists in the six-county region, in the Endless Mountains, of course, Susquehanna and Wyoming County, then as you move into the Valley Cities, Lackawanna and Luzerne County, and in the Poconos, we cover Wayne and Pike County. So in that six-county region, we get to help identify the traditional and folk artists of the region and then help to present programs so that people have access to their art and also help to facilitate apprenticeships so that the continuation of the art and the extension into the next generations can continue. So it's a wonderful partnership, and we're, we're delighted to be part of it. And we are early into it. In only year two, we do have a roster of artists that is up on the website, which is everheart-museum.org. If you can look under the different programs and events, you'll see the folk and traditional art program there. And then we have new artists that we are in the process of working with and doing some field work and really helping to preserve and present their traditional arts as well. So it's a wonderful ongoing process that we can't wait to see how it continues to develop right from, as you said, Erica, those grassroots. We're also hoping that we can help facilitate a culture of folk and traditional arts in our region because, of course, we have deep culture of our you know, museums and our art galleries and art councils, and folk and traditional arts fits somewhere in the middle. It's part of family tradition. It's part of community and cultural traditions, but it is also art, and so it, it fits kind of into that heritage region, but there's no specific way for artists that fit into that category specifically to get together and to really form support for each other and artistic conversations and, and be able to spark off each other and create new initiatives and, and collaborations. So we're hoping to foster that kind of a, of a really wonderful mesh of, of the artists across that six-county region. And there's so many different kinds of towns and different kinds of people, so that blending, that melding of all of these different artists is what excites us in the future. One of the things that you've talked with us about already is the Second Sundays programs you've been hosting with some of the rostered artists. Absolutely. We've, we've had a lot of fun. Every Second Sunday we present an interview, which is really a way to introduce to everyone in the listening area a new artist from our roster of folk and traditional artists each month. So on the Second Sunday... Right now, they are virtual. We hope again in the future that they can be in person, but we have a presentation and an interview, and it's part performance, part conversation, and getting to know these artists. And specifically, 
what were their experiences growing up and what was their artistic journey and what keeps them passionate about keeping their own artists uh, alive inside of the tradition of their culture. So we've had three artists so far, and we started off with Leo Schott, who is our piper, our Ulian piper, and had a great time with him back in March. And we went on in April to Sujata Nair Maloth, who is a classical Indian dancer and teacher and choreographer. And then just on Mother's Day, actually, we had a wonderful conversation with an African drummer and multi-instrumentalist and sculptor, Maxwell Kofi Doncor from Ghana, who has been in our region for a very long time teaching and performing. And then coming up in June, we'll be speaking with Doug Smith, who has helped to present and preserve the Dixieland jazz to our region for so long. And then we continue all the way through the end of 2021 with a different artist each month. So lots to tune into. This coming weekend, you have a special event that is building on some of the things that you probably covered with Sujata in her interview. It is expansive in a certain way and looking broader. Yeah. Sujata had a wonderful thought, you know, immigrating as she did living originally in India and then in the United Kingdom, and then eventually in the United States, she began reflecting on her experiences as an artist living in a new culture, and not only performing, but also as a teacher. She is teaching classical and traditional Indian styles of dance to, to American students, and she realized that she was making adaptations to that and has a firm belief that beauty is found in the melding of the cultures. And to keep a a classical and traditional art alive, it has to also be able to be relevant at the time and in the place that it is existing at the moment. And she thought, I wonder if other artists, specifically women artists, have had those experiences and what they feel about those experiences and their adaptations then. You know, how did they process that? What do they feel about it now? What are they thinking, you know, for their futures? And so she approached the Lackawanna County Arts and Culture Department to request a grant to have that kind of a conversation. And she asked us as the Everhart Museum to be a partner in that and help her present and facilitate that conversation. And so we gathered together four different artists actually two of whom are are on our roster of the folk and traditional arts, and another who is from the Finger Lakes region of New York, and another from Arizona, from Phoenix, Arizona. And they all have different experiences of their immigration experience, but the conversation that ended up coming about was really fascinating. And so how it is being presented this Sunday, the 16th of May, is that at 1.30 there will be a virtual art exhibit so that you can get to meet these four women through their art first. So it'll be online, and you'll meet the artists through this virtual art exhibit that kind of shows you what their traditional art form is and introduces you to them. And then at 2 o'clock we have our panel discussion between those four women. And it is moderated by a woman named Amy Skillman, who is um, a folklorist, and she's also the academic director at Goucher College for their master's program of cultural sustainability. So she is also, you know, she was the folklorist of Pennsylvania for many, many years, 30 years, I think. 
And so she has a lot of experience in this intersection between cultures. She calls it the intersection of culture and tension. (laughs) And she really pays attention to these kinds of conversations because she believes they can mediate social change. And the hope that Sujata, as the program director, and Amy and, and we and the artists all have, is that for people who have had this kind of an immigration experience and had to make adaptations, it, it can you know, really help them to hear this conversation out loud. And for other people who may not have really had the opportunity yet to think about things from, boy, I wonder what that would be like to find yourself in a new culture and be trying to bring forth a traditional cultural art forward and, and present that in a new audience. What, what would that be like? It's a really eye-opening and um, it's a really humbling, wonderful conversation. Very delightful to hear each person's nuances of their their thoughts about it and um, how they respond to one another and how they feel about each other's experiences is, is absolutely wonderful. And you have guests who hail from, originally from Ukraine, India. Yes. Also China. That's correct. That's correct. So... It's a, you know, it's a wide variety of experiences, but it's interesting that they recognize themselves immediately as all being from more on the Asian side of, of the immigrant experiences, and so they felt a bit bound together by that. That's timely, too, because there is a great deal of conversation about people who have come to America from the Asian Pacific regions. Could you tell whether they not only had a sense of camaraderie, but also surprise? Does that come out in the course of the conversation? At the end of it, the light in everyone's eyes and the the feeling that that conversation could have gone on for hours and hours more was strong. So, yes, there was a a camaraderie. I'm actually getting goosebumps as I'm, I'm describing this to you because... You know, it's it's powerful when something is as difficult as, as moving to a new culture. Just trying to assimilate as an individual is difficult enough. Making the adaptations to your own lifestyle is really challenging. And then trying to find, you know, how as an artist do I fit into this culture? And then you realize sometimes for some of them they realize that they had a responsibility to accurately represent their cultural art in this new culture. So they feel a sense of ambassadorship together. Um, they feel a sense of, of lightness of heart that comes across as well. Even though these are heavy and weighty things, there's a laughter and a lightness and a not taking themselves too seriously that I think is, is almost unique to the not not unique, I won't say that. Um, I think it's particular to an immigrant experience because you come with all of your brilliance from your area and you arrive in a new country and, and between the cultural barriers and the language barriers and just the challenges of, of everyday life, trying to get used to the new place, you don't feel so brilliant anymore. <laughs> you know, Suddenly you're, you're not, you know, kind of on the top of your art game and not, it's just it's a very difficult thing to revision who you are within your society because this is a new society now so there's a lightness of heart that comes from you realize that you know you still are who you are inside and and now you have a way to present yourself 
and you, and it's it's difficult, and it's funny, and it's lovely, and it's heartbreaking, and it's all of those different things at the same time. And so the sense of camaraderie, yes, was absolutely there from from this lightness of heart, but this seriousness of purpose. And in terms of disciplines, there is an iconographer who is also a classical pianist. Absolutely. That's a beautiful soul from Russia. That's Nina Kuznetsov. And she has very deep training in classical piano. And she studied at the best conservatory in Moscow. And so, you know, really was prepared for an entire lifetime to move into that space of being a classical musician. And then living here, of course, was told that there's really no way to make a living as a musician. So she was asked to do other things for her, for her living and uh, eventually ended up to connect to herself, kind of ended up finding out that iconography was something that really appealed to her through the philosophy and the different ways to look at that. And she feels that her sacred arts of iconography and the sacred and classical music are very synergetic, and she loves that. So, yes, she's um, from Ukraine originally and now lives in Lackawanna County. And another painter, but this time traditional Indian painting. Oh, my goodness, yes. And it's interesting because what you find through this interview is that this spirit of creativity cannot really be held or confined to one mode of artistic capacity. So most of them are artists of multiple genres, some of them performing and some of them visual. So Gita Menon is actually from Phoenix, Arizona. So she got, uh, she started painting in 1984. You know, she, she wasn't trained in it until she realized that she really liked to do it. So she had originally started as a, as a girl when she was very involved in colors and textures and realized that she could go to classes. And so she started with watercolors and then started playing with canvases and in portraits. She really liked doing portraits. But then she started training in the traditional Indian styles and the uh, traditional mural painting. And then after she moved to the United States, you know, and who knows, maybe because of this blending of cultures, she really started experimenting with blending different styles of painting, using new materials, um, she started painting Indian themes onto porcelain, and she started another kind of Indian painting called Tanjore, using gold leaf. But no matter which way, she's kind of blending all of these different styles and materials and techniques. It's a truly Indian style, which gives it her identity. And that's what she enjoys, is, is really blending all of these thoughts into that, that Indian identity that she still carries so deeply inside of her. And Nina and Gita have gold leaf in common, right? Absolutely. And, and a flair for color, which is extraordinary. We know that Sujata is a classical Indian dancer. So, too, is Satyavani? Yes. And Satyavani, Tipala Akula, she is both a classical Indian dancer as well as a painter. And she's also... She, she does art in public places, so she's interested in getting public art projects going and involving the community in explorations of themes. For instance, she did a really beautiful project trying to connect people in the Finger Lakes region to the Shemung River and recognizing it as, as its feminine energy, which is really interesting because, you know, we think in the United States we don't have as much of an awareness of 
the identity of a river and its masculine or feminine or a blending of those two identities. We, we think of it mostly as, you know, originally as utility and then later as its, you know, destructive power. And we don't really pay much attention to them unless they're either disappearing, you know, in a drought or if they're overflowing in a flood. But she was trying to reconnect people to the, the nurturing and the feminine energy of the river that flows through the Finger Lakes region, the Shemung River. So between her art and her dance and her community arts project, she's really an astonishing human being. Then we arrive at not just a traditional Chinese multi-instrumentalist, but Dr. Kathy Wang is a practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine, yet she's trained as a Western doctor as well. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and that's, that's kind of what I mean, you know, between... Sachivani and Kathy and, and Gita and Sujata also and Nina, they can't be confined into one place. So you're absolutely right. They are um, really explorative souls, expressive souls, and really wonderful. So yes, Kathy studied, it's basically a Chinese zither. So it's the traditional instrument which dates back from 700 BC, a stringed instrument. And one of the enormous triumphs of, of her life was as an adult who has been playing this instrument for a long time to go back to the place of her childhood and play an instrument that had been forbidden and illegal to to play when she was a child. So she was bringing the history of centuries and centuries with her and bringing it back into her country of birth but again, blended with Western music. So there's the, the blending, again, also of multiple cultures. So each, each one of these women has that, um, it's, you can't even call it a duality because it's, it's not two separate things. This is a conversation about how do, how do two elements inside a person or multiple cultural elements, multiple interests, how do they blend to become an ever-evolving identity? How do they uh, inform how you teach people from a singular point of view, from a singular culture? Like if you have students who are American students and they're learning a cultural art that is not from their culture, that has a different philosophy and a different expressive um, vocabulary, whether that's a physical vocabulary or a verbal vocabulary. And it's just a lovely conversation, and I couldn't have been more thrilled to have gotten to listen in on it and and help coordinate and present these ladies together under under Sujata's vision of what were their experiences. And I I think she's very pleased at the conversation that unfolded. And I I know and I, I hope that she felt really fed and invigorated by bringing all of these women together to share their experiences and to help other people hear them and then maybe connect to them in in ways that they have also experienced and and begin thinking about their assimilation and their adaptations or to have an understanding of people that have had to make these enormous adjustments and what it means to them and, and how much they take inside of them the new culture. To be able to understand these subtleties is so important. Well, tell us then how we can experience what you've just laid out for us. Mm-hmm. Well, with thanks to the Lackawanna County Arts and Culture Department, this has been made possible. So on May 16th, 
there will be online a Meet the Artists virtual exhibit. The best place to go to find this is the Everhart Museum's website. So that will be everhart-museum.org. And you will go to the Events tab. And right there you'll see Reflections of Home and click there. There will be a link there on the web page. And also the Everhart Museum has a YouTube channel, Facebook page. There will be links to the live program on each of those platforms as well. So that's at 1.30. You would go onto any of those platforms or onto the Everhart's website, and you'll see the premiere links live there. And then stay on after the virtual exhibit because at 2 p.m., we go right into the panel discussion between these women. And again, it's Reflections of Home, Women Artists on Immigration and Adaptation on May 16th. Kimberly Crafton, Interim Folk Arts Program Coordinator at the Everhart Museum in Scranton. She spoke with us about the event on Sunday, online, a panel discussion and online exhibit titled Reflections of Home, Women Artists on Immigration and Adaptation. The online exhibit opens at 1.30 p.m., showcasing the work of the four women artists she introduced us to, including this performer, Kathy Wong. This is a traditional piece evoking mountains and rivers, and Kathy Wang is a practitioner of the Gujong. Recorded here at WVIA. The panel discussion will get underway at 2 o'clock, and you are invited to attend at no charge. You can go to the Everhart webpage, the Facebook page, YouTube channel, and the partnership is the Lackawanna County Arts and Culture Department and the Pennsylvania Council on the Arts Folk and Traditional Arts Initiative, allowing them at the Everhart Museum to present this online program, Reflections of Home, Women Artists on Immigration and Adaptation, this Sunday, May 16th, getting underway at 1.30 p.m., and the discussion leader will be Amy Skillman, who is a folklorist and academic director of the Master's Program in Cultural Sustainability at Goucher College in Maryland. So everhart-museum.org, everhart, E-V-E-R-H-A-R-T, hyphen museum.org, and Reflections of Home was conceived by Sujata Nair Ulos. 